the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another thrill-packed edition of Unite, i.e. Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton with the Redlands Tea Party Patriots. My usual co-host, Don Dix, had more important things to do than come down and do the radio show with me today, and I'm deeply hurt by that. I don't know about you guys, but... Filling in for Don is my co-host, John Barry, who's my fellow cabinet member with the Redlands Tea Party Patriots, and he was the organizer of our great ground game that distributed about 19,000 voter guides in this election year. Yeah, it was 19,000. That is 5,000 more than even what we did in 2016 with the Trump year. So it just shows the passion of those patriots out on the street that the media does not cover. That was just a great job and, and, and a great effort. Um, Benjamin Franklin said that whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. And while in America, we still have the First Amendment. So if you want to criticize somebody, a politician, a public figure, you want to criticize Christianity, Islam, Republicans, Democrats, Marxists, whatever you want to criticize or support, the government can't stop you from doing it. But in America, there's a, there's a new trend to try to limit the freeness of speech, and that is through non-governmental means. That we, and we've talked about on the show how the big damn tech companies are systematically censoring conservative speech. And I think as the uh, full story is told, that's going to be shown to have played a big role in the, in the outcome of this last election. But another way that the left and the liberals and the Democrats try to to subdue the freeness of speech is economic means. And we have an an illustration of that. A great local patriot and business leader, uh, Jim Riley. He owns Riley's Farms up in Yukaipa. Great place if you've never been there. First, they have great great dinner programs and great food up there. So that's worthwhile going up to. They also do historical reenactments for for school children. And this has been a big source of their business. And I don't know how many come in every year. But some lefties took an an issue with some of uh, Jim's tweets, not part of his business, his own personal tweets on matters political. And they've organized a boycott and school districts are dropping their program from his from going to his Riley's Farms for the historical reenactments. To discuss this and what's going on, we have Jim Riley, and we have his attorney, Thomas Eastman, who is representing him in a lawsuit about the matter uh, from the firm of Go and Forsyth. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. So do I have it about right of, what the, of what, how this happened is that it was, an, it was a leftist Twitter mob that morphed into getting the school districts to boycott your business. Yeah, basically, you know, in the free-for-all that is Twitter, um, it's a very easy kind of social media to take out of context, both the context of the discussion and the context of the news cycle. 
I had been ridiculing Stormy Daniels at a time that she was uh, basically accosting undercover officers at the same time that she was attempting to humiliate the president. I thought she was a fair game for at least some sort of satire, and they took that tweet, saw it as misogynistic. Uh, I was arguing with some folks about the extent to which there's really any white nationalism in this country. I, I've always felt that you know, if they're calling Tucker Carlson a white nationalist, something is very askew there. So I, I said, well, I think we're more in danger from people like Louis Farrakhan, who's advocated genocide. And, uh, and so for that, they called me a racist. And very various other tweets given in the caustic Wild West free-for-all that Twitter uh, were taken out of context. And in their minds, I became... Uh, bigoted, uh, you know, misogynistic, uh, and um, and intolerant, and so um, it, it worked to begin with. I'm, I'm I'm grateful to say that a lot of districts have heard the story. They support us. Some of these schools have been coming to Riley's Farm literally for 40 years. Either one of our farms, my brother's place or our place, and uh, and I think that we're going to get their support. But I but I do think that districts should be warned that they really can't throttle the private expression, political expression of people who work for them or who contract with them. Now just to get, um, I, there's a, we'll put a link on our Facebook page of, if you can see the actual tweets, but then this is what they sort of call a f- offense archaeology. So some of these tweets go back, looks like this, the one in, about Stormy Daniels was from the beginning of July. So it's not until the end of August that some lefty finds these tweets and posts them on Facebook and gets the uh, leftist Twitter mob and Facebook mob ginned up against you. Right, and you become you become nothing but that tweet or those series of tweets, and these are sacred cows to them. I understand why progressives feel the way they do about some of these figures and why their uh, their thinking is so lockstep. It's completely opposite to mine. And politics is not part of our program. We we love everybody who come up the farm. We have uh, very diverse staff. We see all kinds of people, every spiritual, every ethnic uh, ethnicity you can imagine. And we treat them all with a great deal of love and respect. And I don't force our politics uh, down anyone's throat. I'm not like uh, uh, Cherry Garcia or uh, Pecan Resist. I'm not asking anybody to share our politics. I'm asking them to appreciate history. Yeah, hey, Jim, this is John. First of all, what a non sequitur for a reason to launch a boycott against your wonderful farms. I've been up there. I've had dinner up there. And you don't have to wait until apple season to come up that way. But... First question, what, if you had to do it over again, would you have had those tweets if you had known it, this was going to happen? Absolutely. I've always been very, very political. I've, I've always felt that I really couldn't portray Patrick Henry and then just, you know, basically commemorate some hollow uh, um, honoring of uh, liberties long gone. I felt that, that as a historian, it's my obligation to take the lessons of history to my personal political activism. So I, I, I don't want to live in North Korea. I don't want to live in even in England anymore. I have I know people who can't travel to England because they've been too critical of Islam. And, and I think that the First Amendment is very worth protecting. Sure, but it, it's, it's more than the First Amendment. And you're willing to still go out and express your political views. But... What the I think what the object of this campaign is is to deter other people in business 
and the professions is, you know, just the safest thing to do is to keep my mouth shut. It's It's, part of a larger effort to suppress conservative speech. It's bullying, really. I mean, it's, it's not just fascism. It's just outright bullying through social media. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that when you talk to most uh, businessmen, they basically sort of advocate sort of a neutral, what I call gray speak, uh, speak that doesn't uh, offend anyone in their personal lives. And to me, I think that's very sad. I think that the, the, the political landscape is much more colorful, interesting, and, uh, and, and noteworthy if people who are in business speak about political issues. Let's take a break here and hear from our sponsor for this half of Unite, i.e. Radio, Ed Hoffman of Wholesale Capital Corporation, the place to go for your real estate lending needs, both residential and commercial. And we'll be back with our discussion with Jim Riley and his attorney. We'll talk more about what they're doing legally now as a result of this after this message. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender and host of the main event, Heard Weekends, here on AM590 The Answer. Let me talk to you seniors for a moment. Have you been hearing people talk about reverse mortgages and wondering what those are all about? Let me make it simple for you. A reverse mortgage is exactly the same as any other mortgage with one exception. You don't have to pay monthly payments if you don't want to. You still get a monthly statement and you can send in payments if you want to. They're just not required. So your next question is, where does that leave my kids when at some point I pass away? Did I just give their inheritance to the bank? The answer is no. Your kids will inherit the same amount as they would have otherwise with the exception of anything that you want or anything that you need between now and your final day on earth. If this sounds like something that might enhance your retirement years and you want to talk to someone who can make it just that simple, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. And listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturday mornings at 10, Saturday nights at 9, and Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock right here on AM 590, The Answer. Licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate, broker license number 01147747, NMLS and California Finance Lenders License number 603K610. AM 590, The Answer. This is Assemblywoman Melissa Melendez urging you to tune in to Unite IE Radio every Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. And we're visiting with Jim Riley, owner of Riley's Farms. By the way, if you want to have a great place for a dinner theater event, Look on the Riley'sFarm.com. They have great events, particularly over the Christmas season, so we commend that to your attention. And what we're talking to Jim about, his attorney, uh, Thomas Eastman, is how, based on Jim's personal political expression, a number of school districts have organized or, or dropped his, his, their historical reenactments that they go to at his farm in violation of the First Amendment. And uh, John had some follow-up questions here. Right. Now, love your farm, Jim. But as a listener, somebody listening to the show who doesn't know who you are, not familiar with this controversy, never been to your farm, by this boycott that's happening to you, why should I care? Why does it affect me? Well, first of all, I think that everyone benefits by school children learning the American story. It used to be the obligation of public schools to make Americans of lots of different kinds of immigrants to, 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 to build in them the, the cherishing of our personal freedoms and to, to make them respect and love American values. So I think we all have a, an investment in the young learning those things. Secondly, uh, if you are a, let's say you work for a public entity and uh, you, have, uh, you make the mistake of deciding you care about the country's future and you get involved in politics, your employer as a public entity should not be able to throttle your speech. 
if you if you contract with a public entity, you should not be able the public entity should not be able to tell you this is the party line. You have to agree with it or be silent. And I think that the, the, there are very 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 important personal liberty issues at stake. A lot of people say, well, anyone can boycott. And I I agree. A private boycott is one thing, but a state entity with all of its power. Some of these districts have uh, you know, half billion dollar budgets a year. Uh, and they're, they're, they could be using those to force the kind of speech that, that they agree with. Okay, so I'm in my car listening to this, and I'm outraged because I see this as an attack on my First Amendment rights. What do you want me to do about it? Well, I think that uh, calling the districts, and, and to begin with Claremont, reminding them that they they cannot be public servants if they hate the First Amendment. I think that, that uh, contacting them, I think that supporting our programs would help. I think that uh, there are many, you can come to a, a field trip here at the farm as a family or as individuals. You can take your kids and you can learn about the Stamp Act, the Admiralty Courts, the sacrifices that were made by the, uh, the generation that fought the revolution. So supporting us economically helps, but also um, uh, making it known, bringing a little bit of heat on these school districts who use their enormous power to tyrannize small business. Well, another aspect of this is you never had a hearing with any of these d- districts that have dropped you. There was never, here's what you've done, let's hear your response. It was just a response by certain probably leftist administrators at the district in response to a Twitter campaign. Yeah, and in my mind, it's people who care more about the anti-Semitic Louis Farrakhan than someone who calls out his nefarious racism. So I love what you're doing, Jim. I mean, I love the effort here because you're fighting for our principles, but it's the importance of not just the court of law, but the court of public opinion, or we're fighting it out in the public square uh, because there's an important principle at stake and kudos to you for putting your capital and attorney and uh, your actions on the line to stand up for what every American should be standing up for. Well, I'm getting a lot of help from uh, Squire Eastman here, our, our attorney who's uh He's passionate about the First Amendment. I'm, I'm very grateful to have an attorney who uh, who cares about the Constitution. Well, let's bring Mr. Eastman into this and tell us about your lawsuit and the basis for that and um, what you think the prospects are. Sure, the prospects are good. Um, you know, we start with the text of the First Amendment, right? Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Now, as uh, government will do if it's not kept on a short leash, uh, it immediately started looking for exceptions to that rule. And one of the exceptions that came up early in our history was the context of when uh, government is acting as an employer. Uh, The Chief Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes back in the 1890s had a ruling where he said uh, a policeman may have a constitutional right to talk politics, but he has no constitutional right to be a policeman. So over the next several decades, that view was rejected by the Supreme Court. And the rule now is that you don't surrender your constitutional rights when you take public employment or do business with government. Um, There's uh, several Supreme Court cases. One is uh, Umber versus County Commissioners that extends that rule to uh, independent contractors like Mr. Riley. Uh, and there are still some exceptions to the rule. Uh, there's, uh, you know, for example, when government is, is paying you to speak a certain message, uh, obviously they have some control over the speech. If you're hired to be an English teacher and you decide you're going to teach Russian instead, 
you know, you can't claim violation of your rights that, you know, they, they insist on getting what they pay for. And uh, the Garcetti versus Ceballos case addressed that. The issue here, though, is that this is not speech that Mr. Riley was paid for by the district. You know, there is no indication that the uh, field trips themselves are anything that the district could object to. In fact, they've been happily going there for 20 years. Uh, and there's no way the district can argue that his personal tweets on his own account, on his own time, without even any mention of the district, without any mention of Riley's farm, for that matter, uh, qualifies somehow as a, you know an extension of the district's own speech. So you know, the rule, the rule is basically that what you do on your own time is protected by the First Amendment, and a public entity can't retaliate against you for that. You know, there's some. There's some exceptions in extreme cases, you know, like involving uh, law enforcement. There was a case, uh, a Supreme Court case out of San Diego, uh, where a, a policeman was making a, a porn video in uniform, you know, and then out of uniform. Uh, and that was held to go too far. But when somebody speaks on public issues on his own time, you know, that's the core of the First Amendment. And I'm frankly a little astonished that the district decided to dig in its heels. You know, we had Patrick Henry saying, give me liberty or give me death. And the district came back and said, "Okay, death then. (laughs) Well, I think that, as Dennis Prager says, that liberty is not a value of the left. And they had an opportunity. They joined, you know, that uh, they joined the Twitter mob. They may have been the administrators may have been part of the Twitter mob. And, you know, they're it's not their money. So they can advance. Yeah, you know, uh, they can advance their politics on taxpayer, you know, using taxpayer money. And that's really kind of what's happening there. And the tweets themselves, you know, they're not terribly horribly offensive. You know, what these people do is they're building kind of a fence around their sacred cows, and they're keeping people uncertain about what they can say and can't say, uh, and. You know, for fear that the authorities will come swooping down and hammer them for saying something like, you know, some of the things that Jim said about, you know, genuine public issues of concern. That's a great point, and I do want to follow up on that. But let's pause here for another word from our sponsor, Ed Hoffman of Wholesale Capital Corporation, the place to go for your real estate lending needs, both residential and commercial. Back after this. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender and host of the main event, Heard Weekends, here on AM590, The Answer. Let me talk to you seniors for a moment. Have you been hearing people talk about reverse mortgages and wondering what those are all about? Let me make it simple for you. A reverse mortgage is exactly the same as any other mortgage with one exception. You don't have to pay monthly payments if you don't want to. You still get a monthly statement and you can send in payments if you want to. They're just not required. So your next question is, where does that leave my kids when at some point I pass away? Did I just give their inheritance to the bank? The answer is no. Your kids will inherit the same amount as they would have otherwise with the exception of anything that you want or anything that you need between now and your final day on earth. If this sounds like something that might enhance your retirement years and you want to talk to someone who can make it just that simple, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. And listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturday mornings at 10, Saturday nights at 9, and Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock right here on AM590, The Answer. Licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 01147747, NMLS9873, and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. AM 590, the answer. 
Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. We are visiting with Jim Riley, owner of Riley's Farms. Great place to go for dinner theater. That's at Riley Far- Riley's Farm. Dot com and his attorney Thomas Eastman and we're discussing how the liberals and the left and the Democrat Party are using economic means to subdue the freeness of speech when they can't directly do it because of the First Amendment and uh, just to, if you haven't joined us already Jim sent out some tweets on political matters on his own personal account and as a result a number of school districts have stopped bringing their students to Riley Farm for his historical reenactments and they are now suing one of them Claremont School District for violating the First Amendment. And we we're discussing that with your attorney, our attorney uh, Thomas Eastman and Mr. Eastman you had another point you wanted to make on that. Well, yeah, one thing that's interesting is that reading these cases and preparing our lawsuit, you know, we, we were noticing that, you know, the strongest defenses of uh, free speech in the context of empl- uh, government employment were often made by these old line, you know, liberal giants of the court like William Brennan. Uh, they were very zealous about protecting free speech without almost exception at all. Uh, as we've said, there have been some exceptions drawn more recently. Uh, for example, public safety employees sometimes are are uh, held to a tighter leash because of their, their greater responsibility. But even in one of those cases, I thought it was very interesting that uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, uh, then a circuit court judge, is to, issued a blistering dissent about the extension of this um, of this exception. Uh, she. Uh, she said that she found the speech in question, and in that case, it really was definitely, you know, horrible, bigoted speech. She said it was patently offensive and insulting, but she was warning the majority about, quote, glossing over three decades of jurisprudence and the centrality of First Amendment freedoms in our lives because it is confronted with speech it doesn't like. So, Tom, uh, I'm yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So as a lawyer, right, how in this settlement, how are you going to make it stick so other districts don't get the same idea to boycott because somebody hurts somebody's feelings. How are you going to make it stick so these guys can't try this same tactic again? Well, our, our lawsuit is for injunction or in the alternative damages. Uh, we would like simply for the Claremont School District to acknowledge that it was wrong and uh, you know, go back to permitting these wonderful field trips to be made available to the children. Uh, with guarantees, of course, if they don't try to end run us and, and, and uh, you know, make it clear to teachers that, you know, that'll be professionally damaging if they, if they choose Riley's Farm. Alternatively, you know, they have to pay for what, uh, what damage they've caused. And there has been, if they, don't, uh, if they don't get it right, there will be quite a bit. Uh, this is a, a fairly uh, lucrative business. And... Uh, School districts don't like paying big damage awards. Uh, we've also, uh, you know, th- this we think is such a blatant abuse of the First Amendment that there really can't be any question what they're doing. And so we're asking for punitive damages as well. Uh, sometimes people just need to learn the hard way. And I'm afraid uh, the district may have gotten some bad legal advice and is going to have to learn it that way. And again, they're not they're they're not playing with their own money, so they have a more leeway to um, use taxpayer money to take take this position. And just a couple of minutes left here. One of the points I wanted to get to is this. And I'm looking at Jim's tweet here regarding Stormy Daniels, 
and she had at the point had been arrested uh, by undercover officers at one of her uh, stops on her uh, national strip club tour, and she was accused of hitting the, one of the officers with her breasts. So Jim made a snarky comment on that. On that. <laughs> okay. We see that as making fun of and criticizing a particular person for what she did. The, the other side sees this as an attack on one of their po- uh, protected groups. So they see that as an attack on women. It's a sexist tweet. Not, not criticism of one individual person for what she did. Well, that's right. I mean, I, th- I think it was, it was, a, it was a, uh, a snarky tweet about an individual who was engaged in outrageous actions. And uh, it wasn't a commentary on women in general. In fact, I'm quite surprised anyone would look at Stormy Daniels as Joan of Arc or as representative <laughs> uh, of their own values. I mean... <laughs> Only because she serves their interests of going after Donald Trump. When she no longer serves their interests, she's dropped and she's and and she's gone. We have about thirty seconds yeah. left here, gentlemen. Any any concluding comments you'd like to make? Well, just that we love American history, love our customers, and the vast majority of our customers, fortunately, love us. And we'd love to get Claremont back and some of these school districts back. And we hope we don't have to do it the expensive way. Uh, and uh, and force them to pay multi-million dollar damages. We do, we'd rather just celebrate history together. Great, and if you haven't been up to Riley's Farm, or even if you have, go again. It's a great place. That's Riley'sFarm.com. Thank you, gentlemen, and thank you for your efforts to uphold the First Amendment and freedom of speech in America. And we'll be talking immigration with a Border Patrol agent after the break. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. We just had a great discussion in the previous half hour uh, with Jim Riley and his attorney about the use of, by the liberals of economic means to suppress the freedom of speech. And another issue that's obviously much in the media and very important is immigration. As Ann Coulter says, immigration is the most important issue because it determines all other issues. And, of course, what you see now on the TV is this caravan of migrants from Central America who want to get into America for, and they admit it if you you interview them, for jobs, for welfare benefits, for health care benefits, are trying to abuse the asylum laws and get into the country, and they tried to break down the fence near Tijuana and and were repulsed. With tear gas, and of course, they brought their children along and the TV cameras along right. uh, for for the images. <clears throat> to help us understand what's going on, we have back on the show. We have Christopher Harris, a retired border patrol agent from San Diego, and he probably knows the guys that are on the front line there, getting th- rocks thrown at them. Welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, you know, I appreciate being on the show. You guys are always kind enough to have me on and, and listen to me speak about some of these issues down here. Um, I, I appreciate that. You let me stay within my wheelhouse. I like to only talk about what I know about and that I've seen pretty much firsthand. And so you mentioned that I know, probably know these guys. Of course I do. Uh, I've worked in that area for 21 years uh, in the United States Border Patrol. That's my area. That's in the Imperial Beach Border Patrol Station area of operations. That's where I was assigned for 21 years. I just retired a few months ago. So I know those guys well, those men and women. Uh, I'm proud to have served with them. I'm prouder still have seen their fortitude and the restraint they showed <clears throat> on some very difficult and, and dangerous and even deadly cir- circumstances. 
And so I'm going to use that to kind of segue into what I really wanted to talk about. There's been a lot of mischaracterizations in, in some of the media about what happened down there. Um, I've been down there. I've been down there the last few days. Uh, I keep in touch with the men and women. I'm still a union rep. I'm still a union official uh, for, for the union that, that covers the United States Border Patrol agents in San Diego. Um, so I'm still, I'm still very much in touch with them. These guys said this is the worst they've ever seen it. And what happened was you had, out of about, as of Monday morning, uh, Tijuana was informing us that there was over 6,700 caravanners in Tijuana, uh, maybe a little bit more because more keep coming up. Anywhere between 500 and 1,000, pick the number you like. The U.S. Border Patrol says closer to 1,000. Mexico says closer to 500, so let's put it in the middle and say 750 people. Decide to have a rally. I'm pretty sure they knew that um, the organizers, at least, it was going to be violent. Uh, they had stockpiled rocks up. We have some pictures of those. I'm going to try to see if I can disseminate them. Stockpiles of rocks set up uh, pre this rally. Uh, so they went to the rally about between 500,000 people, uh, and it turned quickly turned went from a rally to a violent melee, uh, to to almost like a riot. Uh, and and the American media is not showing a lot of these this video footage. It's it's kind of funny to me and a little ironic and actually a little disturbing that you can actually see more of the truth on the Mexican press and, and Mexican YouTube videos of what was really happening. Quite clearly, people throwing large rocks and stones, uh, bottles, chunks of concrete at our agents. And, and let me just segue out of that for a second. Um, I've been hit in the head with a rock. I had a smuggler hit me in the head uh, up the border fence, the primary fence, when I was trying to affect some arrests. Um, I, I had four years of serious medical injuries, uh, traumatic brain injury and, and all that. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. That's considered deadly physical force under the laws of the United States, under the U.S. Constitution, and by Supreme Court rulings. We operate under the same laws and the same Constitution as every other law enforcement agency does in the United States. So when you're faced with deadly physical force, you have the legal right and the ethical right, the moral right, to respond with deadly physical force. So these agents, these men and women, were facing deadly physical force. A rock can kill you. Rocks are the first bullets. They're a projectile. They're, they move through the air by muscle power. A bullet moves through the air by cordite gunpowder. People have been killing people for thousands and thousands of years with rocks. In fact, they still stone people to death. It can kill you and seriously physically injure you. So these men and women were in a deadly physical force situation. They could have responded with deadly physical force. And I don't want to be brutal because nobody wants to do this. I've been involved in deadly physical force encounter. But they could have really shot the people that were throwing rocks at them. Instead, at grave risk to their own personal safety, they chose to go to what's called an intermediate level of force, and that was tear gas. Tear gas is widely understood and accepted legally and ethically and morally around the world to be able to be used in certain circumstances, including the United States. Now, understand this. Everyone that deploys the tear gas and OC, the pepper, uh, the pepper ball spray, um, they have to have been dosed with it. You have to be tear gassed. We have to know what it feels like. So we all understand it's unpleasant. But really all it does is irritate your eyes and, and, and your nose and so on and so forth and make you cry. Now, I can't speak for everybody around the world, but I can speak for me. I'd rather, if I was uh, had my druthers, cry than be shot. So they chose an intermediate level of force, tear gas, to stop the threat. And that's always what you're trying to do is to stop the threat. If I could jump in and here, Chris. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I've been in the military 36 years, including every year we have to get hit with tear gas. So... I've never been hit with a rock, but I've been hit with tear gas, and it's just killing me how my former brethren in the media are so worried about tear gas and yet downplaying the rocks. Because I've, I've had all I'm those. Even, 
all those symptoms you described, I've done it many times. And you know what? You, you survive. That room, in that room when you have to take your mask off. Yeah, we've all been curious. It's unpleasant. You survive it. There's no lasting effects. And so when you said that they're downplaying, I'm watching media. Alice Reuters just pu- uh, published a story. They didn't mention the rocks at all, just that we had used the, the tear gas to disperse the crowds. Well, that did disperse them, and that's God bless. But that's not what they originally deployed for. They were deployed when it became a deadly force situation. And, and it did exactly what it was supposed to do. And, and one of my brothers uh, in the union, Josh Wilson, had mentioned that tear gas is a nice thing. If you don't like it, walk away. Go away. And, uh, you know, as far as women and children there, Look, I, 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 most of the, the migrants didn't go. They were smart enough to, have to show up. Those that, the mothers that brought their children to a, a rally that was turning violent, you know what? I, I got to say a little bit of shame on you. I, I have two beautiful daughters. I would never bring them to something like that. So uh, let's put the blame where it is, the people that threw the rocks and bottles and tried to hurt and kill the U.S. Border Patrol uh, agents, and people that were foolish enough to bring their, their kids to a protest, a violent protest. And this was trying to break in, and, and I use this analogy. If somebody comes to your house, guys, and they knock on the front door, and you open it, and you like them, and you say, yeah, you know what, you're a guest, come on in. That's all cool. That's well and good. But if they go around the back door, because you're like, yeah, not today, guys. Uh, you know, I don't want this salesman in my house. And he goes around the back door and starts breaking your back door in and then attacking you, that's a home invasion. We don't allow that. So I think that the thing I want everybody to take away from this is forget the whole immigration issue. You forget the tear gas and use of force issue. It comes down to this. Are we a nation of the rule of law? Or are we going to devolve into the rule of man, which always, always in the history of mankind devolves into mob rule? Do we do we rule? I was on John, uh, Ed Henry's show the other night, and, the, and one of the guys arguing against me was saying that at the very end, he had to agree with me that I had a legal right to use the tear gas, but he just his feelings when he saw that. So are we going to go down that road where we rule by feelings, which is mob rule? I'm angry, so let's lynch this guy. Uh, let's burn this guy's house down. Uh, let's, let's kill this woman. She's a witch. Are we going to do mob rule, or are we going to be and remain a, a nation of the rule of law? We started that role, that, that, that whole trip with the Magna Carta, the rule of law. Nobody's above the law. If you don't like the law, you have your elected officials change it. But we don't get to say, because we're entitled, or we're upset, or our feelings are hurt, I don't like this system, I don't like this law, so I'm just going to ignore it. That's not how this country is founded, and that's not how this country works. You cannot have a safe uh, and reasonable society if you have mob rule. And these people that are always about their feelings, I don't think they realize that mob rule usually tramples on the minority. Whoever the majority is angry at, they're the ones that get picked on. The rule of law protects that. And so we saw at the border the other day was a group of, of children, and I'm going to use this analogy, children coming along, and every, all along the way they were told, yes, 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 you can. And they were finally told firmly, no by the men and women of the U.S. Border Patrol and also the field operations, and they said no, and they threw a tantrum, a violent tantrum. Do we give in to that, or do we remain a nation of the rule of law? And that's what I hope everybody takes away from this. Let's take a break here and hear from our sponsor, uh, the, uh, Dean Safe of All-Star Collision, the place to go when you have an accident, because they are truly the kings of rock and roll. Back after this. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision, 951-279-9161. 
Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. Car Star, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. AM590, the answer. This is Senator Mike Morrell asking you to tune in to Unite IE Radio every Saturday at 4 o'clock on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. We are visiting with Christopher Harris, a retired Border Patrol agent, about the situation in uh, in San Diego when the uh, mob tried to break into our country and the response to the Border Patrol agents. And you were t- talking about how the rule of law. But you, you had a point off the air mm-hmm. about how your brothers and sisters in the Border Patrol are being portrayed by the mainstream media. Yeah, and, and I, I'm usually pretty calm. I, I deal with activist groups. I have friends that are liberals, and I'm liberal on some things. I deal with Democrats, and I have, and I'm usually pretty calm, and that's pretty effective. I, I have to say, I don't want to be melodramatic, but I, I'm getting outraged by some of the things I'm seeing that are being said by these guys. You have to understand, the men and women of the U.S. Border Patrol, we are the most diverse diverse, whichever way you want to pronounce it, federal law enforcement agency there is in the country, bar none. Around the country, it's like 55% are what's considered in, in America minorities. On the southwestern border, it's up to about 66, 68% are people of color and women. And we have a huge LGBT community. It, it's gigantic, and they're wonderful men and women. So when they're going to try to portray us as this fascist, right-wing, jackbooted, thug, shoe-stop organization, I'm outraged. That's not the truth. We make more saves, we save more people a year than any other federal law enforcement agency. We have a unit that's particularly made for that, an elite unit called Borstar, Border Search, Trauma, and Rescue. We take agents off the line, out of the field, to just ban that unit. So for, to have people say this about these men and women, most of these on the southwest border, a good majority of these men and women are from these countries. We have men and women that are from Mexico, of course, uh, and not literally not that their parents came here, they're from there from Ecuador, from, from Honduras, from Guatemala, from El Salvador, from Cuba, from Puerto Rico, which obviously is part of the United States. But my point is we have a huge Latino or Hispanic community. And to act like there's some kind of fascist backward thugs is disturbing, and it's, 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 it's egregiously wrong. These guys are some of the most compassionate men and women, but they took an oath of office. They swore to uphold the Constitution and the laws of the land, and they're going to do that. Of course, what, the, what's the, what it's about is politics. The Democrat Party, want, and you don't have to agree with this, Chris, but what's, what's going on is the Democrat Party wants open borders and unlimited immigration to stack the voting deck in their favor, and they don't. And anyone that gets in the way is a jackbooted fascist Nazi thug. To be, to be, I'm going to agree with you. Nice. I'm going to go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm going to agree with you mostly. Understand this, though. I call state a state, and so the fact is that there are Republicans that have been in the House. And in other areas who have, who have held up uh, border reform for years now. And I'll give you an example. We've, we had House control, uh, Republican control, the House, Senate, and Presidency for two years. Where is the national mandatory E-Verify? We've had, we've had control, again, for two years. Where is the, the, the payment for the border infrastructure? My, my problem is that there are certain Republicans, certainly much less than Democrats, who perceive a benefit because they're beholden to large corporations. And I'm going to name one by name right now, Tyson. They get caught all the time hiring illegal aliens. So the bottom line is there are some Republicans that perceive a benefit, and that's cheap labor. Now, of course, I, what you said about uh, a lot of the Democrats, yes, they perceive future um, voters. There's no doubt. 
But the bottom line is it's not good for this country as a whole. Neither of those groups, and again, the Democrats far away the Republicans in this, but neither of these groups is looking at, I think, for the best interests of this country as a whole. And again, the men and women of the U.S. Border Patrol took an oath of office. And they swore to uphold the laws and the Constitution and to protect the people therein in this country, the borders and the people therein. When those twin towers came down on that ugly day in 9-11, there were people that were illegal aliens. And I use the term illegal aliens because that's our technical term. If you're here other than a U.S. citizen, you're an alien. And if you're here illegally, you're an illegal alien. doesn't mean the person himself is illegal. But there were illegal aliens in those towers that died. They didn't deserve to die. Our job in Homeland Security, our job in the United States Border Patrol is to try to prevent that. And a lot of my men and women are prior military service. Some still serve. I got guys now in active duty that are called up in Iraq and Afghanistan, men and women. I got a lot of former uh, law enforcement. We, we take that seriously. It's not a loud, I'm out there chanting or whatever. It's just internalized a, a love for our country and the people that live here. And I'm, I'm tired of people, especially people in Congress. How dare you? How dare you slur uh, the men and women of the Border Patrol when you are the ones who passed these laws? How dare you, the, the, the rank hypocrisy to pass a law and then blame us for enforcing it. And people have to ask, again, back to the rule of law, do you want an open border? No country, no, no sovereign nation state has ever existed in the, in the history of mankind without being able to control its borders, ever. So do you want us to remain a sovereign nation state with the Constitution as our guide, or is that something you don't want? And I think that's what we need to start asking people, Greg, that is that what you want? The open borders and absolute return to mob rule. Absolutely. John? No, I appreciate the work you guys do. I was almost killed by an illegal alien five weeks before my son was born. Uh, driving in San Bernardino, as we're reported with the Press Enterprise on the way to the story, and a guy just runs a green light and hit me. And if I hadn't made a sudden right turn uh, before and made it, I got deflected <clears throat> off the front, he told my car, otherwise he would have T-boned me without breaking right into the driver's compartment. So I know what it's like, and I appreciate what you guys do. You know, it's funny, because I, I had almost exactly happen to me. I, I'm glad you're right. I was driving over. I was in uniform. I was in my board patrol uniform. Guy smashed into me, ran a stop sign. And as soon as I got out of the car, you could see his face drop, and he, was, he wanted to leave. And we held him there until the police came. And finally, oddly enough, they didn't issue them any tickets, because they said, well, you guys are just going to deport him. Um, but so I get that. I, I mean, I know a man, and you guys probably know him, Don, who, whose son was killed by an illegal alien a driver. Uh, I know some of the angel moms. Um, so there, there is a lot of crime committed in these United States by people who are illegally. And, and when people say, well, we have, you know, we have people in this country commit crime, American citizens do. Yes, you're right, far too many. I can't deport them. I would if I could. I'd send them to, oh, I don't know, like Australia, like the British used to do. But the fact is we grow enough criminals homegrown that we don't need to import more criminals. But, I, I mean, I, that's a whole other subject for the day. But on the border right now, we, we believe they're going to try to stage another violent incursion. We believe that that will come. All right, let's take another pause here for a uh, word from our sponsor, and then we'll continue our discussion with uh, Chris Harris, a retired Border Patrol agent, about what's happening on the border and what might be done to better secure the border after this word from All-Star Collision, the place to go when you have an accident because they are truly the kings of rock and roll. Back after this. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. 
Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. AM590, the answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. And we are talking to Christopher Harris, a retired Border Patrol agent from San Diego, about the situation on the border and the attempt by the uh, illegal immigrants, and that's what they are, notwithstanding their bogus asylum claims, to break through the border and how the media has been characterizing this. When... You were previously on our show. You talked about what it's like to work the border, not this current situation which is on on camera where there's a mob of people trying to break through the border, but just how it normally works and just how understaffed and the status of your equipment and oftentimes how you guys are out there individually with the nearest backup 20 or 30 miles away. You know, that, that's uh, a lot of people don't realize. I, I tend to forget because I've been immersed in the Border Patrol now for 20-some years. But when I was a cop in New York, I never even heard of the Border Patrol. And, and that's still a big thing for most people. So you're, you're quite right, Greg. You know, I said I've worked in Imperial Beach my whole career, but I've also been uh, detailed out to different areas. I've worked in Campo, uh, which is in Southern California. I've worked in El Centro. I've worked in Ajo, Douglas, uh, Ajo Arizona, and Douglas, Arizona. And so we always, except for very rare uh, transport situations, we we work by ourselves. We're not like police departments. We don't double up. We work by ourselves. And and I can remember being out in uh, uh, Ajo. I was 50 miles away from my nearest backup. Um, We were shorthanded that day, as we always are, but more than normal. Uh, I was in an area I didn't know well because I was detailed out there. We were just five agents in the area. I was the only one. I watched three vehicles, uh, SUVs, come hauling into the Tohono the Hono Odom Indian Reservation at the south end from Mexico. There's just a dirt road across the border. And uh, I was in a place watching, and, and I could see that these were loaded. Uh, they were narcotics loads. So I went down to intercept. I had no backup. Um, they saw me. Uh, they Thankfully, they turned around to race back into Mexico, and I, I went to try to intercept. And at the last second, I, I hit the brakes, and I stopped because I had the realization that there's three of them. Each one had two in, their, in the vehicle, two individuals. We had been told that they were tired of losing their dope loads, the cartel, and they were going to fight to keep them. And I realized I am 50 miles away from the nearest backup, the nearest uh, dust off, from the nearest medical treatment. And these guys are either going to ram me or they're going to jump out with automatic weapons. I'm going to be in a shootout, one guy against six. And I'm going to be lying here in a puddle of blood, bleeding out, waiting for backup. And so I slammed on the brakes, and all vehicles went back into Mexico. So they didn't get into the U.S. with their drug load. But that illustrates that we're out there, sometimes 50 miles away from backup, and you, you're affecting arrests. I've arrested 30 people out in the middle of nowhere. That's how it works in U.S. Border Patrol. Um, we're oftentimes without backup. Quite often our radios don't work. We don't have radio comms. Um, when I used to do border tours, a lot of people would see that I could literally see an agent, but I couldn't talk to them on the radio because they didn't work well. Um, and, and so that segues into our technology is not always the best. I know in my station we were still using Gen 1, Vietnam era film imaging cameras. Uh, when a piece broke, we couldn't get a replacement because the company went out of business in 2003. And as far as manpower, statutorily, Congress set a minimum, a minimum. That's the basement level. Uh, and it was not like, oh, we think this is a good idea. This is by law of uh, 21,370, I believe. We're down to 19,000 right now. So we're down about 2,000 agents for the whole country below our minimum. Forget uh, President Trump saying he wants to add 5,000. That's above the statutory minimum. We just want to get back to the statutory minimum. And to put that into a more narrow, manageable perspective, my station, 
Let me let me stop you there because we have about three minutes left, and we do want to talk about what you think we could be done and should be done to secure the border and reform the terrible laws that anybody, if they actually show up at a port of entry, they can say the word asylum and they get released into the country. Wonderful question. Now I'll try to make it succinct. I'm Irish and I don't shut up. Um, so there's a couple. There's three things we need to do on the border, and then there's a couple of things we need to do. Um, that are just in general. So on the border, you need three things to secure the border. You need infrastructure, you need technology, and you need manpower, the boots on the ground. You need all three. And I don't think it's a zero-sum game where the U.S. government should be able to do all three. So that infrastructure, that's walls, that's fences, that's roadways, they all help. When you want to protect something you love, you don't just put, go on guards around. You have walls and, and fences. That's how we protect Fort Knox. That's how we protect the president. That's how rich people protect themselves in gated compounds and communities. They help. We need that new technology, the better sensors, the better radios, the better IR uh, video cameras, the cameras. We need the manpower. We're, we're, we've been retreating away. Those are the three things you can do on the border, and you can really start securing the border with those three things. In general, we need to get that national mandatory verified. We probably need, and I know a lot of people on the conservative side against, we probably ultimately have to face the fact we need a national ID card so there's no more voter fraud. And what we need to do is tighten up the amnesty laws. Look, amnesty, our country, it's a golden beacon. I don't want to get rid of it. It's something we should be proud of. If you're really being persecuted, if your people are being murdered by the government in another country, God bless, we take you in. But it is so easy to manipulate it and abuse the system. We need to tighten it up. You need to have to ask for it in another country. We need to make Mexico, we need to work on making Mexico accept the the status as a safe haven, as a safe country, where people get to Mexico, they're safe, they wait there while they're applying for amnesty. And if they jump the border illegally, we can return them to Mexico. So right now, an Honduran national that jumps that border, even though he's been in Mexico, we can't return him to Mexico. We have to send them back to Honduras. And we need to build, and it costs money, but you have to decide what you want, what kind of safety level you want. We need to build bigger, humane detention centers for families along the border and assign asylum officials and immigration judges to those facilities to immediately hear these cases immediately make judgments, and I'm talking about real, real hearings, not, not faux hearings, but decide justice delayed is justice not denied, as the famous Supreme Court justice said. They need to have it quickly. If they really deserve it, God bless, welcome to America. If not, you're out. You're sent back to your country. If you lied, we're going to prosecute you. And if you do that, the flood will stop. The flood will stop. Right. All these people thought they could get in, and that's why, and that's why they're here. And, of course, they're being financed by various leftists to uh, try to break down our immigration system even further. Um, we are out of time today, but I can't thank you enough, one, for joining us on our show today, and two, for everything that you've done as a Border Patrol agent and that your brothers and sisters are doing now as best they can with limited resources and with terrible immigration laws to try to keep our country safe. Thank you, my friend, always for letting us talk about that. And thank you for the, uh, the respect you show our men and women. I appreciate that. We appreciate that. Tune in next week for another exciting edition of Unite IE Radio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.